Amen. If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it. And turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, Our church has been walking through the book of Genesis throughout this year, which at various times has felt very uh, very difficult and very long. And so we're going to break from that tonight. Uh, And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible, you should see one there on one of the chairs in front of you. And, uh, and I'll just give you a, a cheat there that's on page 347 in that Bible. So go ahead, you, you win the race. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, I would love to make sure that you have one before you leave here tonight. And if you don't like that paperback one, just come and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey man, I'd like a Bible. And I got a lot of nice ones. People leave them behind. We just scratch the names off. And uh, Give them back out to other people. No, for real. If you need a Bible, I will put one in your hands tonight. And what I want to do now is I'd invite you to stand uh, with me as we look together at God's Word. I want you to stand with me as we together, as God's people together here, tune our hearts to hear from the living God. We stand and adopt the exact same posture together because not one person here has greater access to God than another. I don't have some secret bat phone to heaven any more than anybody else here. We're all together unified under the word of God as he speaks, to his, as he speaks today through his ancient word to us. Uh, we stand because this is God's word. It's because the king himself is speaking. This is Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob... And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint. And be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the grass withers, the flower fades. The preacher stammers and stumbles, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so I pray tonight you would help us to hear from you. Maybe we didn't come in here prepared for that tonight. Maybe we just came in here to light candles and sing some songs, or at least be in the presence of people singing some songs. But Lord, you brought every soul who's here tonight here for a reason. Maybe, you, maybe somebody was drugged here tonight. But anyway, we're here, and so I pray that what you would do is just speak. Be so clear that we could not avoid you. That we could not help but hear from you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If, I, don't, I don't want to like project onto you too much, but it's really hard for me to believe that tomorrow that tomorrow is Christmas, right? I mean, doesn't it just, that, that feels off to me. And listen, tomorrow isn't very far away, okay? So if that's your first awareness of that reality, I, I'm sorry. And if, listen, if you have a wife who's anything like mine, see, we're about 10 hours away right now 
from her waking us up, making the kids sit at the top of the stairs and get their picture made. And, and it, yeah, you do the math, 10 hours from now, you can pray for us, all right? We need it because it's going to start early in the morning for us. Christmas comes early at our house. We got to get our heads in the game quick because it'll be gone in a flash. And it's a little reminder for us every year, Christmas, I don't know if Laura even realizes this, but every year when she does that, when she literally pries us out of the bed so that we can get going, it's just this little reminder for us of how quickly, of how quickly life moves by. You know, it's just a blur. That's why James 4, uh, in James 4, he says, this is what he says, that life, that, that, that life is a mist or that you are a vapor. You sort of blink and, and, and you know this, especially like if you have kids and, or if you're at that age of life, you blink and then you're celebrating another birthday for them or you're putting another tree in your house. And even in a year like 2020, all right, with all the real and even present struggles. Like, we're not done with this year yet. We're not out of this storm yet. And you can hear it. It's a messy night even right now. If you didn't know, that's what that sound is. So listen, if you're thinking, I hope he talks quick, you'd have nowhere to go. Because <laughs> I didn't see many umbrellas walking in here. We planned it like that. So you could be here and be comfortable indoors together. Even in a year with all the real present struggles... And a year of such great loss, right? A year of so much division, so much discomfort, a year fraught with disappointments. And a year like this, the constant stream of time has not slowed down one bit. And that's been true, listen, that's been true of every season of life in all of human history. So Isaiah, right, and the people of his time, they would have shared that reality with us. Like they understood how quickly time goes by. By the time his ministry had begun in Judah, and I don't know if you don't know much about Isaiah, I'll give you just a brief, very brief synopsis. He was a minister in Judah, a prophet to Judah. By the time he began that ministry, the storm clouds of fear and uncertainty had gathered squarely over him and his people. They were enduring sort of a, a quasi-civil war with, with Israel, with the southern kingdom, a war with deep and personal relationships, right? Where bloodlines were being fractured. The leaders of the time, the, the, the actual leaders in his day were called out by God for their, I want you to hear this list. They were called out by God for their hypocrisy, for their greed, for their self-indulgence, and for their unbridled cynicism. That sound familiar? Years of material and social prosperity had eroded their faith and their worship to mere cultural obligations. And the external threats of the growing Assyrian Empire were very clear and present. And so in that way, even though this was over 2,700 years ago, we can understand a lot about their situation. Like that world where they live looks really, really familiar to us. And it's into the mess of their present, all right? The reality of that present moment is into that, that God sends his messenger, that he sent his prophet Isaiah with a message not of fear, not a message of angst, but one of hope. And so if, as I've spent some time over the last couple of weeks uh, just reflecting on this year, 
And the world in which we find ourselves, in which you and I find ourselves today, a world so divided, a world so scared, a world where some of us have only, it seems like some of us have just only begun to grasp the weakness and frailty of our lives, of just how temporal and fleeting life on earth really is. God brought me right here to Isaiah 40, which begins, by the way, in verse 1. We didn't read it, but verse 1 of Isaiah 40 begins with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. It's a profound reality that the God of the universe looks down on you, understands your situation, and says, comfort them. Like he's not aloof. He's not oblivious to life. He says, these people need comfort. And then here in verse 27, God asks his people, Why they say that my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. That's a weird sentence. And in his commentary on this passage, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this as the people of God whining and complaining, which I know y'all never do that, right? No whining or complaining. And they're saying this. Here it is. God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. That's what they're crying out to God. They're saying, God doesn't even know where I am. He doesn't know where I, he doesn't know my life. He doesn't know my situation. He doesn't know the reality that I endure all, all, all day, every day. He doesn't have any awareness of that. And he doesn't even care. That's what they're crying out to God. And some of us have felt that way over the course of this year. Some of us have. Some of us, some of us are feeling that right now. As we've seen stories and even lived out the experience of isolation and uncertainty, as we've experienced losses and breaks and pain and frustration and fear and doubt and all of that, and all of that, there's been a deeper understanding of the idea of just being alone. And nobody in here has gone unscathed. Nobody here has escaped this year without some wounds. And so we might question, like we would be tempted to question, like Jacob and like Israel, whether God is there. Like we could, we could cry out and go, where are you in all of this? We might question whether he actually cares about us. And this is the heart of what we might simply call despair. And we should recognize that this is one of the most common tactics. I want to give you uh, the enemy's blueprint for attacking people on the earth. It's one of the most common tactics of the enemy of God. Is that he, the way he fires his arrows at us, knowing the weaknesses that we have in the armor of our hearts, is the same tactic that he used in the garden with Adam and Eve. And it takes two primary forms, and we need to learn to recognize his attack. Because recognizing the attack will help us to prepare to go to war against it. The first attack, here it is, is to try to get God, to get us to believe that we are not significant enough for God to worry with. It's to, this is what the enemy would love for us to believe, that we are not significant enough, that we do not matter enough for God, for the creator of the universe, to actually care about. It's for us to doubt that he would care about us, to get us to to think so lowly of ourselves that we could not believe that we are loved by a holy God. This is what I call the trash attack. A lot of people who come in and they sit in my office and we talk and they're they're under the, the impact of the trash attack where they just don't believe that they deserve anything. You can tell them they're beautiful. You can tell them they're smart. You can tell them they will not believe you. It's the trash that I'm garbage, that God does not even consider me anything. That's the first way. And then then here's the second way. 
is to get us to believe that our situation in life is so messy and so complex that God cannot fix it or unravel it. I call that one the bait caster attack, and that's only going to make sense if you're a fisherman or if you've ever taken a child on a boat with a fishing rod, but the bait caster attack works like this, that you try to throw it and the line just backlashes up into a knot that you cannot begin to unravel. And before you're done on the boat, you are, well, you've lost a rod. It's just not worth it. You just chunk it off the side or you cut all the line off of it and start over. It's to think that my life is such a mess that God could not begin to actually sort it out. And so the quickest way to drive us to despair is to get us to give up on hope, is to convince us that either, here it is, that either God doesn't, that he doesn't care enough to fix it or that he isn't powerful enough to do anything about it. You see, that's the central problem for so many of us today, both inside and outside of the church. Is that our view of God is too small. It's the heart of what the 16th century reformer Martin Luther was getting at when he told the Dutch philosopher Erasmus that your thoughts of God are too human. And that's where Isaiah 40 speaks, saying this. Look at this. Have you not known... Here's God speaking. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So you see what Isaiah is doing here is he takes the reality of our despair. He doesn't deny it. Like God doesn't deny that there are tough things going on in life. He doesn't do that. But he takes it. And he sets that, Isaiah takes that and he sets it against the reality of the greatness of God. And he does it in four statements that I want us to unpack here tonight. And he tells us more than we could ever imagine about the nature and character of God. The first is that God the Lord is everlasting. That means that God is eternal. And eternal goes both ways. And I'll let you try to wrap your mind around eternity that way and that way. It's beyond our human understanding. What it means is that he's not limited by time as you and I are. He's not bound by any particular moment like we are. Like you and I have to carve out a moment to do something. You had to carve out this time to be here tonight. Whether that meant choosing when to leave the house and how long you were going to be here. We have to carve out a moment. Maybe it's for a kid's soccer game. Maybe it's for a cheerleading competition. Maybe it's for a spelling bee. It doesn't really matter. Maybe it's just to take a walk. Whatever it is, we are in that time and we're in no other time other than that. But God doesn't work that way. You see, God's not confined to any one moment. His his days and his time is not limited. Like he doesn't trade in the commodity of time like we do because he is eternal. This is what drove the apostle Peter to say, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. So while you and I worry about tomorrow, what it will bring, what it will carry, God's already there. He's already present in that moment. The second way we see God described here in verse 28 is that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. It's that he made it all. We ask that question here a lot. Where did it all come from? Where did everything that is come from? And what the Bible says explicitly and what I would argue till I'm blue in the face makes the most sense logically is that God made it all. Every speck, every, every molecule. Again, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this by saying, he's the creator of all you can see or imagine. 
That you can't even begin to imagine something that God didn't create because even your imagination was formed by God. From the top of Mount Everest to the deepest point in the ocean, from the nose on the front of your face to the furthest reaches of the furthest galaxy, God made it all. And so there's nowhere, here's what that means for us, that there's nowhere that we can go where God isn't there with us. There's nowhere that he can't be reached. When we first started meeting in this building, I, I started driving home from here every afternoon. I would go home by joining the, the poor folks who sit in the line of traffic going towards town. Uh, it's, 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 it's absolutely the worst, so it, you, can, you can feel sorry for me every day about five o'clock. And I would get up there and I would turn right onto what's called Hope Ferry Road, and it's right there at the, at the twin intersections of, of bargains, right? Lidl and Aldi. That's, that's where you go, right? And on my way, I'd typically call Laurie, get in the truck, call Laurie and say, you know, ask her, is there anything that we need? And I'd hit this point every single day on Hope Ferry Road where the call would drop. Just every single day. And I, yes, I've never learned from it. Every single day the call would drop right before the house with the amazing Christmas lights. Anybody know that one? It looks like a, like a, like a bloodbath of dead Christmas trees during the day, but it's, it's, it's pretty nice at night. I recommend going that way if you're headed back to like Irmo or that direct. Go Hope Ferry, see the amazing Christmas lights. Don't drive by there during the day. My son gets very concerned about all those dead Christmas trees. But it's a dead zone. You couldn't connect. It didn't matter what service you had, Verizon, AT&T, it didn't matter. There's just a dead zone at the bottom of that hill where you can't be reached and you can't reach anyone. And it's frustrating, but it's never that way with God. Like it's never that, whether it's in our homes or in our hospital beds or even in exile or isolation. God is always there. Now here's the third thing Isaiah says. He says that God does not faint or grow weary. That God does not faint or grow weary. That means that God, here's what that means. It means that God is always at work. That he is always at work. He's always on the move. There's no limit to him. No, my, no, no, no hill is too high, right? No, no valley is too deep. No burden is too heavy. No moment too intimidating. No road too far. If you've ever thought about it, like I get tired on a road trip driving a car. I'm not working. Like, I, my family has never, any, and I bet nobody here has ever, like, hitched up the wagon to go on a trip. Anybody? I mean, we, like, pack the car, but then we get in it, and we mash the pedal, and at the end of the trip, I'm tired. That's how weak and feeble we are. You see, even the best and the strongest among us here are pretty weak. Verse 30 says that even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. It's why we spend roughly a third of our lives asleep. It's not just physical exhaustion here that we're talking about, by the way. That's the easy one to go, okay, that burden's too heavy to carry. But it's also the emotional fatigue for us. It's the relational fatigue. It's the weariness of heart. Listen, I've been around enough people in the last week to know there's some families who are struggling right now because your traditions aren't going to look like they've normally looked. There are people missing out on seeing one. There's relational fatigue. There is a weariness of heart, even in this room. There's a weariness of the mind, but God doesn't get tired. He's always alert. He's always available. He never declines a call. And here's the fourth thing. It's that his understanding 
is unsearchable. And listen, that's not just that God knows everything, though that's true, okay? There's nothing that escapes him. He wouldn't be God if there was something that he couldn't know. That would, that would ruin his godness. He would cease to be who he claims to be. But it's, but it's also what he's saying there is that we can't totally figure him out. Like we can't put God into a neat fashioned little box. Like those presents under the tree. He doesn't work like that. And to be perfectly honest, all right, any God that I could completely understand, that isn't a God worth that's not a God worthy of worship. And it doesn't give us license to stop seeking him. It doesn't give us license to give up on the pursuit, right? Because if, there, because if God is there, and if God has spoken as we believe that he is and that he has, then we should be intentional in seeking to know all that we can about him. But another aspect of this truth is that some moments and some memories will never make sense to us. There are so many whys that we will never have a complete answer to. Even just this week, as I'm reading the news and I'm seeing on, 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 online, I'm seeing it that, this, that, that an apartment complex burns down two days before Christmas. Families displaced. As we have people dying around us. As we experience real loss, there are things that we cannot fully and completely understand the why. But I'm grateful that my understanding of things isn't the ultimate meaning and purpose of life. Because I'm I'm confused far more than I would ever want you to know. I've heard it said before, if our lives are not exactly the way we would like them to be, we can be sure that they are precisely the way God wants them to be. And so I want to find my life in my creator. I want to find my meaning. I want to find my purpose, the answer to the great why of life in God. Because, because that's the only place I can trust it to be true. That's the only ultimate reality. And, that, and that's what faith is, right? It's dependency. Faith is trust. Faith is depending and believing on God. Look, look back at verse 31. Don't miss this. Recognizing our human weakness, it says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want to read that again because I don't know that everybody's following here. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I heard someone say recently, That waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. That waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. You see, waiting, waiting isn't doing nothing. It's not giving up. Waiting is what we do in active anticipation of what's to come. We wait for the wedding day to arrive in anticipation that the bride is going to come down to the aisle, down the aisle and meet her groom. We wait for the day of a child's birth in anticipation of holding our new baby. We wait for the doctor to come in in anticipation of hearing the results of the test. We wait for the letter to arrive in anticipation of, of knowing whether we got into the school or not. We wait for the light and anticipation that it's going to turn green. We wait for the rapid test to tell us whether or not we got the COVID or not. Listen, waiting is never 
doing nothing. Waiting has a spirit of eager anticipation. And we wait. Here's the thing for us. We wait as those who have some reason, who have every reason to be hopeful. We have every reason to anticipate that God is going to bring something about in our lives. Some healing, some renewal, some restoration. And Christmas reminds us of that. If we can just pause for a second and think. Christmas reminds us of that. It's not the presence under the tree. It's the arrival of our Savior. That's what Advent means, is arrival. It's the birth of God made flesh who came and lived and walked among us, who came and lived the perfect, spotless life in the midst of the brokenness and darkness of this fallen world. And so, what that means, so what that means is Jesus didn't, he didn't, he didn't live in some sort of fairy tale world. He lived here. He lived in the same world that Isaiah knew and the same world that you and I call home today. Jesus came and gave his life for us, the righteous one for the unrighteous many, in the same world that we know. And that's the good news of the gospel right there, that Jesus died for you so that you could live in him. And for our sakes, he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, we have every reason to trust our God. Every reason to wait on the Lord because He has given His own Son for us. He's already given us the ultimate gift. And that's true even in the mess. That's true in the confusion. That's true in the pain. That's true in the loss. That's true in the fear and uncertainty. We have every reason to trust and wait for the Lord, knowing that, it's in, that in His hands is where we're being held. As you go from here tonight, I want you to go in the hope that casts out all despair. I want you to go in the hope that, that hope that was born in a stable. That hope that died on a cross. That hope that lives today, ruling and reigning, caring for and carrying you in every moment. Go in the hope of Christ, knowing this, knowing this, that they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the word of the Lord to us, to a weary and tired people. And I know you are. I know I am. We all are. I know there are people watching right now online who are tired. They're tired of having to stay home because of a virus. They're tired of having to wear masks because of a virus. We're all weary and heavy laden. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My burden is light. My prayer for you today, tomorrow, every single day, is that you would walk in the light of Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son to come and die for us. Undeserving, unholy. You sent the Holy One to come and give his life for us. I pray now, even at this time in our service here, as we're going to pass the light around, I pray that you would help us to remember what you've done for us. Help every spark to remind us of the hope that we have in you. 
Oh, we pray for those who are grieving right now. We pray for those who are hurting right now. We pray for those who are in that season of loss right now. And more than that, Lord, we want to step into that because you came and stepped in for us. So help us to be an encouraging people. Help us to be a sacrificing people. Help us to be a loving people who understand what we've been given in Jesus and who want to give that to those around us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.